Great. Thanks, Becky. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just check, check your bulletin for, for the other announcements. But um, I, uh, as we begin this morning, I um, just wanted to share, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 4, and it's about um, Elisha and this, this lady that she's only known as the Shunammite woman. And um, Elisha is going to, to her town uh, pretty, pretty regularly, and she ends up saying, hey, come to have dinner at my house. And then he, come, he has dinner with she and her family every time he comes into town. And finally, she just says to her husband, let's make him a room because he's here so much. I just, we, we could just bless him like, and take care of him. So let's make him a room. And so they make him a room, and Elijah has a room to stay in every time he comes to the town. He's just really blessed. And so at one point, he says to a servant, he says, look, we really just need to bless her back. Go, go ask her what, what we can do to bless she and her family. Can we talk to the king? Can we talk to some officials? What, what can we do to bless her? And she doesn't really come up with anything. And so um, Elisha says to his servant, what can we do? And he says, well, she doesn't have a son. And her husband is old. And that's like not something you can just talk to the king about and make happen, right? So uh, he's like, great. And so they call the woman and says, by this time next year, you will have your own son. And the woman says, no, 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 please don't do that to me. Don't, don't mess with me like that. That's just way too much. And I, it's like just, I can't even imagine having something that great. He says, no, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And sure enough, one year later, she has a son. And she's so blessed, so blessed. And they go on, I don't know how long, several months or years. And it turns out her, her son has a head, his head starts to hurt one day, and then he dies. And um, she... She's just obviously torn up because she couldn't have a son. And then he said, yeah, you're going to have a son. Gets her hopes up. And then he dies and her her hopes are just dashed again. And she gets on uh, an animal and goes to to meet Elisha and his servant. And when she's still a a, a ways off, Elisha knows she's coming. But the Lord hasn't told him uh, why she's coming to see him. And his servant goes out and says, what can we do for you? And she won't tell him. And she gets to Elisha. And she, bas- she basically says something to the effect of, why have you done this to me? You've promised me. And is, she's, she can't even get all the words out. He knows what has happened. And, he, and he, sa- he sends his servant back. And then Elisha goes back. He lays on the boy. It's this process. And he brings him back to life. And the story really impacted me as I read through that this week. Because I think sometimes we, like that woman, feel like we can't, ask things of God. We feel like it's just too, too much. Like she, she couldn't ask for a son. That was just too much. There's no way. She, and then she got him. And then he died. And then it was just too much to ask for him to come back to life. And I, I think sometimes I feel like God, we treat God like he is limited by the same things we are limited by. And, and so we say, well, he, we, in our minds anyway, well, he can't do this. Like, because he doesn't have the like we don't have the resources, so we impose that limitation on him. He doesn't have the resources. He can't. He can't. Like I can't make a son. My husband and I can't. We can't have a son. It's been years and years. We could have a son. Like we, we don't think well God can make anything happen. And then the son dies, and she she's just probably thinking to herself, well he can't bring him. I can't bring him back to to life. Like nobody can. Like God can't. And we we impose that on him. It's like we 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 don't think we can ask things of the Lord. Sometimes because we impose our limitations on him, but just sometimes because we just, I don't know why, we just don't think maybe he wants to. And this story reminds me that one, God is able to do, as the scripture says, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. 
And two, God really wants to bless us. He doesn't always bless us in the ways we want to be blessed. But because of his character, he really wants to bless you in the ways that will bring him glory and that will be really beneficial for you and the church. This morning, I don't know where you are with the Lord, um, but I know that he wants to do at least one thing in your life, because he always wants to do this. He really wants to bless you with himself today. He, he really wants to like manifest his presence to you today. Like he, he really wants you to know how good and gracious and loving and generous he, he is. He, he wants you to be able to see him a little bit more clearly today. He, and, and through that, he wants to give you life today. And so as we begin, I, I would love to just ask the Lord to open our hearts so that we could receive him today as, as a church, so that, that we could be blessed, so that we could grow, so that, that we could live life of, a, of, of abundance, not necessarily physical abundance, but definitely spiritual abundance, just so that, that we could together really commune with the Lord because he is able to give of himself, and he is desiring to give of himself today. So as we begin, let's pray and ask the Lord if, if he might just do that for us. Father, we thank you for that story of the Shunammite woman. We thank you that you were able to bless her with a son and then able to bring him back to life, and um, that you were also willing to do that. And Lord, Lord, today, um, we would just humbly ask in, in Jesus' name that you would give us the faith um, to, to know that you are able to do more than we think you can, that you are able to tear down walls that we have built up. You are able to break sin that we've given into. Um, you are able to cleanse us from things that we can't cleanse ourselves from. Some of us are coming in here today with, a, with some baggage, with some some hurt. Some of it's been self-imposed hurt. Others of us have hurt that's been imposed on us. And, and some of us, uh, regardless of how that hurt has come to us, we just don't see a way of uh, out. We don't see a way of, of healing and restoration. But, but, but we know that because of what you did for the Shunammite woman, that, that you can do that for us today because you don't ever change. And so we, we just ask, first of all, in Jesus' name, that you would give us the faith to trust you today. And and as you give us the faith to trust you, that, that Father, um, you, you would open our hearts so that we could receive you today. We, we just so badly want to know you better in our heads, but also in our hearts. And we would pray in Jesus' name that you would open us to that so that you would be glorified and that we would be equipped to do whatever you have for us to do and be whoever you have for us to be. So Lord, this time is yours. We are yours. Please knit us together as the body and let us see you for who you are. As we were singing that, uh, this you, you may be seated. This, this scripture came to mind. It's from Psalm 91. Um, it says, whoever dwells in the shelter... Actually, has anybody ever... Anybody struggle with fear? Uh, yeah, some of us maybe we've we've struggled with it in our house. And this is a this is a, a, a psalm that we've kind of worked through uh, in our family um, to help us to confront that. And um, we were singing about being a slave to fear. It just kind of came to mind. He says, uh, "Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust." 
Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and on the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. Or in our family, because I'm the only guy, we say, I will rescue her. I will protect her, for she acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Fear is not of the Lord. Fear costs us everything. They say this in our family as well. Fear costs us everything and gains us nothing. Fear is not from God. And when we read this in the context of eternity, it makes so much sense. Terrible things may happen here. But as we look to eternity, we have this promise that is set. And so it matters not what happens here. We are secure because his angels have been commanded concerning us. So maybe, I don't know if you're dealing with fear today or not. I imagine some of us probably are. Um, Can we maybe sing this one more time? Um, And... uh, We can sing it in light of the fact, knowing that God does not desire for us to fear. That he desires to replace our fear with trust and hope and security. That he has commanded his angels concerning you. And that he wants to bless you. And if we will just open ourselves to him, he will become our refuge. Will you please rise? And let's just sing this one more time. To him. To him. This morning, I know that... um, so, some of us are having a little bit of fear, anxiety. Some of it's our students. I know some of our students are headed back to school this week. Or, uh, and, and so we, we just would humbly ask that, that you would bless them, Lord. Um, any fear of anxiety of going to a new school or a new grade or a new teacher, Father, that you would just comfort them, that you would encourage them, that they would know that you have commanded your angels concerning them and uh, that you would give them great confidence as they take refuge in you. And not in their ability um, or, or their intellect, uh, Father, but, but in you. And others of us, maybe some of our adults, are, are just in a place of transition. Or, or maybe the, the future is just unknown. Um, or, or maybe there's, there's something personally happening that we just don't know how it's going to work out. And I, I would just pray in Jesus' name that, that, same, that same prayer for them. That you would comfort them, that, that, that you would become their refer- refuge. And, uh, Father, that together we could surround one another, um, that we could be transparent in appropriate ways with one another so that we know how to care for each other, and that, Father, those of us who um, are maybe called at this moment in life to support uh, a brother or sister who is struggling, who is fearing, Father, that we could do that, and um, that we could carry each other. Father, please, please be with them as well. 
And Lord, we, we thank you this morning that you have also gifted us in, in so many different ways. And uh, Father, blessed us in so many ways. And, and Lord, it is a joy to be able to, to, to give back to you, to recognize your greatness in our life by surrendering some of what we have to you in, in an offering. And Lord, as we go about that now, we, we just pray that, that what we have to offer, that you would use it for your glory first and foremost. And um, Father, that many, many people, um, whether it's here in our context in Hershey and Harrisburg and E-Town and Palmyra, uh, or whether it's in the state or the country or the, the world, Lord, would, would get to know you better because of, of what we give today. And, and, most, and, and, and we just pray that you'd be glorified. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And our ushers can come forward to receive the offering. You are allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Thank you. Uh, Well, uh, Good morning again. Uh, a few weeks ago, I asked you all to come forward, so I'll just come backward a little bit, <laughs> make my way back to the back corner to Mickey there, um, walk around a little bit. So um, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about, uh, we're going to talk about a topic this morning um, from Scripture. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going we're gonna to work from there primarily today. You can put your finger in there and also go back to Genesis 2, because we're going to re- reference back to Genesis 2 as well. Um, but the topic that, that we're going to be discussing, looking at this from the scripture, of course, is marriage. And um, it's, uh, whew, it, it is something that is super important to the church. Um, like, I don't think we can overestimate how important it is. So um, that said, you know, (laughs) white dresses, tuxedos, flowers, church service, reception, honeymoon, when you think of those things, they typically characterize the 21st century American wedding, right? And um, they are beautiful and sometimes incredibly elaborate, at other times very informal and simple, I've done quite a few weddings, actually. Uh, when I was not pastoring, like the two years before I, I came to Living Legacy, I did more weddings during those two years than I did in, in all of my years in ministry, probably combined before that. It was really crazy. Uh, but I've done quite a few weddings, and I've done you know, very different ones. They're all so unique. Some are big. Some are very small. Um, a few have been fancy. Um, a lot of them have been very simple and in, informal. My wedding wasn't too big, um, but it was pretty fancy. Um, we were the first, Dottie was the first child to get married in her family. So her mom had been waiting for this moment for years and years and years. And um, her, two of her siblings are older than her. So, um, so she had been really waiting and finally it happened. So she went, she kind of went all out. We were married at Billy Graham's uh, uh, camp and conference center called the Cove uh, in a chapel uh, there, and um, I remember, you know, it was it was beautiful. I mean, we had lots of flowers. The flowers at our reception sat off the table about eight feet in the air. Like it was like 
It was it was a big deal. There was special music. The pastors, you know, it's fancy when the pastors wear robes, right, in the service. So pastors wore robes. Um, the ladies, the bridesmaids, wore gloves that came down to their their elbows. Like it was like it was an ordeal. It was way more fancy than I had ever experienced in my entire life. Um, uh, and it it was beautiful. And Dottie and I were incredibly thankful to her parents for throwing such a just such an amazing wedding. And while I loved our wedding, I have to be honest, my favorite weddings are the simple ones. I um they aren't fancy, there's little fanfare, they often have few flowers other than maybe a bouquet that the bride, you know, holds. Oftentimes there's not groomsmen or bridesmaids, it's just the Man and, and woman and a few family members sometimes. It's uh, the the bride the, the bride wears a simple dress sometimes just like a sundress or whatnot and and the guy sometimes will be in a polo and shorts you know and um, these are my favorite weddings and Adrian said yeah mine <laughs> uh, and they're my favorite weddings most of the time I think and I think they're my favorites because the simplicity of the wedding service allows the majesty of the marriage to be shown. Like, it's just like, it's highlighted, it's elevated, like what we're doing. We don't get caught up on all the extra things in the wedding service. What we get caught up in is the marriage. You know, and that, that's, that's what's really important. You see, a wedding and a marriage are two very different things. A wedding is the ceremony, the pageantry, the process a couple goes through to enter into the marriage. Marriage is the covenant, the bond commitment that couples make, which unites them to one another and makes them one. If you have to choose to focus on one, the wedding or the marriage, the marriage is significantly more important than the wedding. In fact, I think I mentioned earlier, but it is hard to overestimate how much more important the marriage is than the wedding. The wedding ends, but the marriage carries on for the lifetime of the couple until death do us part. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking not about weddings, but we're talking about marriage. Marriage is one of the most foundational institutions to humankind, but even more importantly, to the Christian church. A church's health, I firmly believe this, a church's health is in a large part dependent on its view of marriage. A church with a high view of marriage tends to be positioned for health, spiritual health. And a church with a low view of marriage is inevitably doomed for hardship and failure. A high view means the church values and protects the biblical, God-designed institution of marriage, as we find in Scripture. And like, it fights for it. It battles for it. It teaches it. It lives it. It breathes it. It doesn't budge on it. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to read our text, which is from Ephesians chapter 5. And then I want to look at it from kind of two angles, and one is going to bleed into the other. There's not going to be a whole lot of distinction. But I want to look at it in light of its place as a foundational block or institution of life and faith. Specifically, um, that's going to be highlighted from Ephesians 5 and then Genesis 2. And then I want to examine marriage as its pattern after God's design for Christ and the church. 
and meant to reveal how marriage is meant to reveal God to the world. So, um, so let's let me pray. That's probably a good place to start. Uh, and then um, we'll read Ephesians five, and then we'll, we'll chat for a little bit. Um, okay, let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we get to be together as a family. Um, I thank you that um, just like um, in in weddings, like my favorite ones are the simple ones. I think oftentimes, like mo- all the time, pretty much, my favorite services are the simple ones, are are the ones um, where we come together not for the pageantry of worship, but Lord for um, the substance. We come together as um, a body, as your people, as a family, and we laugh together, and we joke together, and um, we study together, and we grow together, and um, we, we just love one another, and we love you. And Lord, I just thank you that we can do that this morning. I, I pray that, that you would help us to stay focused on what's really important this morning. I pray that you would help me to stay focused on what I'm doing, um, that you'd keep me focused on you and not on myself, um, and, um, or even on your people, but really first on you and then on them. And uh, Lord, that as we get into your word, you would open our hearts and our minds and our whole person so that we could get to know you better so that you could reveal yourself to us and bless us with your presence, Lord, so that we could leave this place knowing you better and having a deeper, more intimate relationship with you and each other. So, Lord, this time is yours, and, um, and we are yours uh, for that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 5, um, verses 30, or 21 to 33. Um, I have it written out in my paper because I've discovered that I'm getting a little bit older, and I'm not able to read this small print anymore. <laughs> the other week, I was I was doing this number, and that's just not as helpful. So I'm, I, it's it's Ephesians chapter five, and I may reference to it from my Bible, but we're gonna primarily I'm gonna read off the script here. But um, starting in verse 21, and it should be on your screen, I think, as well. So um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they they feed it and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, if you were from another planet and you were dropped into Earth um, as an alien, I don't really believe in aliens, perhaps, I, I, don't, I don't really know, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so you were dropped in here and... Um, then you came to my house and you saw this sitting on the countertop. You had no context. So you had no familiarity with Earth, with American culture, with my house. Like, and you saw this sitting in my house. 
or you might see it sitting in my garage because I have one of these just about everywhere I go. Um, you might think, oh, that's an instrument used for digging ground out of, out of the planet, like, you know, kind of like that, because it, it could be used for that, right? Or you might think, oh, that's like almost the same shape as their ear. It must be a listening device that they use to communicate, right? Or, I don't know, you could think, oh, it's a really cute little hat that they wear on the top of their head, you know? Because <laughs> you, have, you have no idea, because you, you have no idea what it's for, because you have no context, no context. You don't understand the design of this. You wouldn't necessarily think that it was used as a piece of dinnerware to drink the most wonderful beverage ever known to man. <laughs> Coffee, right? Yeah. So um, uh, <laughs> somebody said tea. Yeah, so uh, not so much. Um, but to properly understand our relationship to Christ, we must have, have a right understanding of God's design for ministry. Just like to use this coffee cup for its proper intended design purpose, we have to know it, we have to know what it's for, so too the same principle holds true with marriage. In Ephesians 5, Paul argues that the marriage covenant reflects the relationship God desires each of us to enjoy with him through Christ. And he illustrates this point from the account of God's establishment of the institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, God establishes the, this institution of marriage. It's the first time we hear about marriage in the Bible. It's like the first institution that God creates um, after creating man. And um, he creates it right there in verses 18 to 25. And then shortly after, he creates marriage. Um, and um, Or shortly after God creates man, um, he takes each animal that God's created... And he marches them in front of God and to see which one might be a suitable, suitable helper for, for man. And so this is the account of, of that happening. It says um, in verse 18 of chapter 2 of Genesis, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. Now that's like a, uh, it's prefacing what is about to happen. It's foreshadowing about what is about to happen in this story. Because it, 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 it says why what is about to happen is going to happen. So you read that as the foreshadow. It's like the very beginning of a movie where they foreshadow something, and then, then it, it fleshes out throughout the rest of the movie. That's what's happening here. So no suitable helper was for man. And then it goes on in 19, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals' names. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took, the one, took one of man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh, and the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to man. And the man said, he brought her now in front of man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and he names her. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became, become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. As the elephants were brought before Adam, they didn't work with him. They weren't a compliment to him. And they brought the baboons and all the other apes, and he looked at him and thought, eh, that's closer, but that's not, that's not it. It's not a compliment. 
Some of you ladies are like, my husband is pretty similar to that, actually. Uh, but not, not of like kind with, with the man. And, um, and, and he brought them all. Every bird, every animal came before, but there was, there was nothing that really suitably complemented the man. And so what does God do? He does what he does best. He creates. He take, puts the man asleep, takes a rib, creates the woman, and then he brings her before him. And Adam's like, that's it. And he calls her woman. She was a suitable complement to the man. He recognizes it. And they become one flesh. So closely aligned, so intimately connected, that they are now one. This is marriage. I've heard that um, most of the brownstone in New York City used to make the brownstone homes comes right from right here in Hershey, right? There was a quarry, uh, I'm not exactly sure where it is. I think it's somewhere off of Bullfrog Valley Road or somewhere over that direction, but um, it was mined there and then taken all over the East Coast to build, build brownstones. And there's actually a brownstone at the end of 740, well, 743 uh, hits 322. There's a brownstone house right there. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it, um, but it's there. And it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's really pretty stone. And the building appears to be quite old. And, you know, but when we look at that building, we don't say to ourselves or anyone else, that's a bunch of beautiful stones stacked together, isn't it? We don't, we don't recognize each individual stone. They're all different of varying sizes and shapes, but we don't notice that. We notice the house as a whole. We say, what a beautiful house. We see them as a unit, not individually. The individual stones, which are the same substance, vary in size and shape. Each is of the same substance, yet unique. But when they come together, they fit together and complement one another in such a way as to become something beautiful and somehow greater than they could have been individually. It's kind of like marriage. We're the same substance, men and women, but we're different. We, but we complement each other. And when we come together as man and woman, husband and wife, we become one. And, and you kind of see this sometimes as couples grow older together, right? They start to like look alike. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I walk, we, we were at um, a flea market in, in Myrtle Beach, which like I, I've never, I don't think I've ever been to a flea market before. It was an experience. And we were going by, and there was this um, airbrushing station where they were making T-shirts. I said, Dottie, we should get matching T-shirts, right? Because that's like what you do when you grow older. You start looking like each other and dressing like each other. My, my parents, like, they'll come out sometimes, and they'll actually have a very similar outfit on. Um, and it's really cute. But we start to like become more like each other, and and that that's just that's kind of what happens. The two have become one, have become one, and um, that's what marriage is. It's 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 this is the beauty of marriage. Marriage is created not so much. This is the really cool part. Marriage is created though not so much for humans as it was created because it is in line with God's design for his relation to the church. Get that. Marriage was not so much created for humans. It was, but not so much. What its primary purpose, it was created because it was in line with God's design for his relation to his church. It's in line with his character. It flows from his nature. It reflects him. It points to him. 
Paul states this in Ephesians 5. He says, this is a profound mystery. He's talking about marriage, about husbands and and wives, and then he talks about the church, and he says near the end, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is designed to highlight Christ and the glory of God. Marriage, when lived out to its fullest God-filled potential, honors God even above the couple who engage in the union. It reflects his majesty and mysterious nature. It reflects his love for the church and his commitment to us. At the very beginning of chapter 5, we didn't read this, but Paul references this sentiment when he says in verse 1, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God set us an example through Christ of how to live and how to love. And Christian marriage is supposed to be patterned after this love. But not just so that in the end, people see this beautiful couple that dresses alike uh, and looks alike and just dodes on each other and thinks that's such a wonderful thing. It's more than that. So when, when people see this couple that have been married for 62 years and are still passionate about serving one another, they see Christ and his love for his church. Just as my mug is not designed to be a shovel or a hat, but a means by which I drink that wonderful substance called coffee, so too marriage is designed to draw positive attention to God and bring Him glory. Our ability to communicate the gospel as a church and as families is in a very real way determined by our view of marriage. This is so important. Our view of marriage reflects our view of Christ and His relationship to the church. And I think it's vitally important to mention that having a high view of marriage should be the case regardless of your relational status. It doesn't matter if you are married, if you are single, or if you are a divorcee. As Christians, we must have a high view of marriage. So, that's probably going to look different depending on your relational status. So if you're currently married, um, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, some of the ways that you can show your high view of of Christian marriage. Um, We should, one of the things we should be doing is continually working to improve our marriages, to strengthen them, to guide our union closer to Christ. We should always talk positively about our spouse. How many of us have heard people tearing down their partner, their spouse, when they're not with their spouse? I mean, it happens all the time. We should always be building them up, not tearing them down. Speaking positively about marriage generally. When others ask about marriage because you work so hard to develop a strong marriage, your response should should be honest, but also very positive. I mean, marriage is hard sometimes. So you can be honest about that. It doesn't mean you have to just make it look like all 
you know, rainbows and roses all the time. But even in your honesty about the struggle, there's hope and beauty and, and, and positivity and commitment. Talk of a ball and chain in regard to marriage should never happen for the Christian. Our marriages are not punishment. They are a joy and a blessing. Marriage has difficult times, but over the course of life, it should generally be the greatest blessing to your life. So that's how we like elevate marriage if we're married, some of the ways. How do we do that if we're single, though? Right? Maybe, maybe you've never been married, and you're just like, how do I... How do I possibly like, you know, have a high view of marriage or communicate a high view of marriage if I'm not married? Well, I think there's a couple ways we can do that. Um, I think w- one thing you can do is like you can, in your speech and in your actions, aspire towards a marriage that will be one that will bless Christ. You can aspire to, as you talk with friends and, and family members, and you describe the type of person that you want to marry someday, you talk about somebody who is fitting with what a Christian person should want and another Christian person to marry. And, and you can talk about what you, how you will live your marriage. You can talk about how you will, will love them and serve them and be faithful to them. And, 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 and just in everything you say and in the people that you pursue romantically, you do it in a way also that will guard your heart and your body. As a single person, you don't give parts of yourself away to just anybody. You, you reserve certain parts of your, your, your person, your emotional parts, physical parts. Those parts that should be given to your husband or wife, you reserve them for them and them alone. And through doing that, you communicate to the world a high view of marriage. Because you're saying, not just anybody's going to get this part of me. Think about um, how, I think the hardest one might be, hardest category, relational category, could be um, um, how, how, how do we, if, we have, if we've experienced divorce, how do we communicate a, a high view of marriage? Um, um, and I, I understand that that can be challenging. Uh, I have not personally experienced it, but I've known enough folks who have gone through it to know that it, it's probably the most difficult hurt that you can experience in life. And um, But I think that it is possible to communicate a high view of marriage even if you've experienced divorce. And there are lots of ways to do that, but um, I think that um, one of the ways is divorce is like death. Like, like that, it's a good equivalent to it. Something dies, like the two are together and then they're ripped apart. And that, when any organism is ripped apart like that, it, there's death, and there, there is death in divorce. And I, I think that as Christians who experience it, we, we can... One way we can elevate and heighten the importance of marriage is by allowing, in appropriate ways, allowing our grief to be known. Not just moving on and acting like everything is okay, but being, in a healthy way, transparent and saying, you know what? I am really hurting right now. 
and, and, and communicate that, not just kind of move on. Um, I, th- I think that's one simple way that, that we do it. I, I think that um, I think that you can some of you some, some, some of us have been divorced um, and it's not our fault. Yet we've had to pers- some some people have to pursue the divorce even though it's not the the breakage of the marriage wasn't your fault and that is incredibly painful but I think even in that we heighten marriage because what we say is biblically what this person has done to me was not right and I and I am not happy about this I do not want this this is the last thing I've ever I've tried everything that I could but. This is just the only way. And so I, am, I, I take no joy in this. But this has to happen. And, 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 and maintaining biblical principle as we pursue it heightens marriage. Because it's giving glory to God and recognizing what should be even if what we have hasn't met that bar. I think there may be you may be connected to people. Some of you may know folks. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you are this person. I, I don't know. But some of us have pursued, ha, have, bro, ha, have brought some hurt in a marriage that has caused a divorce that was not right. And it was sinful. And because of it, it has left us in a position where we shouldn't get married again. I don't know that anybody here is in that category. Some, some, but you may be connected to somebody. But if that's the case, I think we can still, even though we have perpetrated the wrong, exalt Christian marriage by saying, you know what? What accepting what we did wrong, saying what I have done was wrong, and because of that, there are consequences that go with it, and I am going to be faithful to God's word, and I am going to stay single. There are there. <laughs> Here's the beauty of life with Christ. There is always a way to bring him glory. He is always able to redeem situations in life. The struggle is sometimes in this world it's going to cost us something to do that. But if we are willing to do it, to suffer, to sacrifice for him, he is always able to bring glory out of any situation. Some of you um, are widowed. And... um, there's another category I didn't really touch on, um, but there are plenty of ways to bring glory to God uh, through through that experience. And I think just your struggle and your grief over losing, similar to the divorce situation, um, and and talking about what God had done and the beauty that was in your marriage and and what well, how He had developed it is a beautiful way to exalt um, marriage and to have a high view of marriage. So anyway, there are lots of ways to do it, but in the church, we must, it, it is vitally important, regardless of our relational status, to have a super high view of marriage. Because mar- marriage is meant to be a joint venture where both husband and wife find their happiness and delight in the other's joy. Meaning, our joy is made complete when we sacrifice ourselves in such a way to bring the other joy. And um, this is the crux of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5, specifically or particularly in verses 21 to 28 uh, in those verses. Uh, we are to love 
the other in our Christian marriage above ourselves. Husbands are supposed to do that for wives. Wives are supposed to do that for husbands. And the beautiful thing is, in the context of Christian marriage, when one partner is loving the other with everything, cost, when it's caught, their love for the other is costing them everything, and the other partner is loving the other partner in a way that's costing them everything but providing everything for the other one, everybody is cared for. We, we think that when we're giving 100% to the other person, we have nothing left to take care of ourselves. The beautiful thing about Christian marriage is when you give 100% and you give 100%, everybody is still cared for. It's just you're not being cared for with your 100%. This communicates, and, and the reason it's set up like this is because it communicates Christ's relationship to the church. Marriage is founded on God's character, on Christ's relationship to the church. Christ gave everything for the church. And we are to model that in our marriages. That's what marriage is built upon. Maggie and I are working on memorizing a scripture from Philippians 2.3. I won't make you say it right now. But um, it, it, it goes like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in everything, now I'm blanking out. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5 and marriage. And then Paul goes on in Philippians 2 and verse 4 to say, and not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. A few years ago, uh, uh, a few weeks ago, a guy I follow on Instagram, it's like social media, uh, uh, posted this message. And um, he said this uh, about marriage. He said, um, don't believe the meet halfway idea. So many people believe that. The logic is, if both people give 50% in marriage, you have 100% of a marriage. The problem is, people fall short, myself included a lot of times. So if two people are trying to each give 50%, you'll never have a full marriage. Instead, aim to give 100% no matter what. That way, you'll have a great marriage no matter how the other person feels. The man's role, in my opinion, is to always lay down his life, desires, ambitions, ego, pride for his bride. And the cool thing is, when you give 100%, the law of reciprocity compels the spouse to do the same because of love. So in other words, give always, serve always, love always, honor always, respect always. That's the key to a great relationship. This is the point that Paul is trying to make. It, we have to give 100%. When we give 100%, everybody has all that they need. So I, um, I'm going to wing it because I lost my last page. So, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I, um, the marriage is, um, five minutes. Marriage is vitally important to the life of the church. But not so much because we need happy spouses. Like, marriage is vitally important to the life of the church because of what Paul said about the mystery. 
But I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Healthy marriages communicate the gospel and our, like, the importance of the gospel in the life of the church to the world. They communicate it to one another. And, and what we're saying is if we, if we lower our view of marriage and, and, and we kind of like fudge it a little bit, we, we kind of like let some things slide that shouldn't slide, what, what that communicates is not that we just have a low view of marriage, it's that we have a low view of Christ. And that's the problem with having a low view of marriage. Christ needs to be more important to our church than anything else. I, I'm really glad we have a building. Like it's really it's a blessing, right? But this building cannot be at all important to us. I, I'm you know I I'm really glad we have a children's program. But at the end of the day, that program can't be all that important to me. Like, I'm really glad that we have a youth program because my kids are now youth. Like, but that can't be, like, all important to me. You know, like, I'm, there's things, like, in personally, like, I'm really glad I have a house to live in, a comfortable house. I'm really glad I have that car that I mentioned is worth $100. Just looking at it this morning out the window. And I'm really glad I have that car if anyone wants you can have it. But like, I'm really glad I have that car. But it can't be all that important to me. I don't know what's like really important, but everything, everything must pale in comparison to the importance of Christ for our church. Because if anything starts to take away from his preeminence in our personal lives, in our corporate life, we're in trouble. And even just like taste like the music we sing or the style of worship we have, or the color of chairs that we have, or you know, those things, they, they can't be most important. What has to be most important is Christ. And marriage is so core to who we are. Like, if we start to fudge on that, if we start to cut corners on that, we're going to fall apart. Marriage is important for, for the couple and the family, yes, but it's most important because of how it reflects and honors Christ. It is built upon his relationship to the church. So, um, here's maybe where I want to end. Some of you are married, some of you are single. I look over here because some of our youth are over here. Some of you are not youth and you're single. that's beautiful. That's like wonderful. Like, it, and God actually calls some of us to be single, um, and that should never be overlooked. Like, and we're gonna pray for you that you are able to honor God, honor Christ, like, and even exalt marriage through your singleness. And we don't want to minimize that for a second. Um, some of you are married, and um. Backing up just real quickly to singles, especially those who are younger, we're especially going to pray for you because you're at a time in life where you want to be engaging in relationships and you want to have significant others. And you like, and I'm, and I'm not going to get too far into it, but we know what's going on for you guys. And we also know that we want purity for you. We want you to find great spouses like a long time from now. <laughs> like, and, um, 
we want you to have like just the best. We want you to have better marriages than we have. And so um, it is not easy to be students today uh, and face some of the pressure. So we are going to be praying for you. Um, and for those of you who are married currently, um, some of you have great marriages and you know, super high of your marriage and everything's just like going really well for you. We're going to pray that you don't get comfortable. We keep working and pushing and building and directing attention to Christ. Some of you are struggling right now. Um, there is beauty in struggle. Like, don't think just because things are hard, they're not good. Like, God oftentimes uses struggle in a way to strengthen. Um, and so um, we're going to pray for you, though, as well, that Satan doesn't get a foothold. And, and, and for those of you um, who are, have experienced divorce, we're going to pray for healing and restoration. Um, if appropriate, you know, and you want to be married again, um, we want to. We're going to pray for it just to be wonderful. Um, but until that time, we're going to. We're just going to pray that God would comfort you, and that if you'll allow us, that He will give us what we need to to serve you and to care for you, um, and so that together we can all have a very high view of, of marriage um, through through healing in that situation. And 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 if you've lost your spouse, we're going to pray for you as well. Uh, because that, that wound, it just is, I, I can't even imagine how hard that would be. Um, and, and we just want to pray that, that God will bless that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Let me do that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, um, and I'm going to pray. Um, and then I guess during the last song, I, I'm going to go to the back today. I'll, I'll close the service from back there. But if you need prayer specifically during our last song, um, you let me to pray over you, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so just, just make your way back there. But let me pray for you now. Uh, Father, um, we just thank you today uh, that you love us. You love us so much that you were willing to send your son to give 100% everything for us. Um, and that, um, that it just is way more amazing than we could ever even imagine. Um, but as much as we can grasp that, we are incredibly thankful for it. And we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would help us to found our view of marriage on your relationship, Jesus, with your church. And that um, we would, um, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're divorced, whether we're widowed, would Father just really be pushing toward that giving a, to that high view of marriage, really valuing Christian marriage, looking for for a partner if we're single that will love us 100%, that we can love 100%. If we're married, to to be doing that every day with our spouse. And and, 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 and if we've lost our marriage uh, in some way, to be healing from that and to maintain, uh, even in the midst of hurt and pain and and grief, um, this wonderfully high view of what marriage is supposed to be and can be, and maybe has been for us. And, and Father, as we do that, we pray that we could make you look so good, that the world would, would look at us and maybe not understand our marriages. Um, they may even poke a little bit at them and prod us and, and challenge us, but at the end of the day, I think when they, they look in, they will see you. And if they're open to you, they, they might be changed by that. And, and, and so, Lord, please be moving in the life of our community uh, with our neighbors 
and our family members and our coworkers and other students like at school so that they could see our high view of marriage. And, and, and if you're calling them, if you're working in them, you could be calling them to yourself even through that. So please use us and in, in, in how we refer to, how we engage in, uh, and how we live through marriage, Lord, uh, to, to, to glorify yourself and draw, even draw people into a relationship with you, Jesus. So we love you. We thank you for your word. And um, we thank you uh, for marriage and pray that you would help us to exalt it so that we could exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you as you go. Exalt him by the way you love your spouse, by the way, the high view of marriage that you have, and in everything you do and you say. May God bless you so you can bless him. Amen.